0: Welcome to Try Babies, the podcast where we're not afraid to be seen trying and crying. You're joined by Sunroom co-founders Michelle Battersby, that's me, and Lucy Moore.
1: That's me. We helped build the world's largest dating apps, Bumble and Hinge, and now we're in the thick of building our own tech company and we're bringing you along for the ride. Each
0: week you'll hear from us as we fill you in on the good, the bad, and the ugly when it comes to business,
1: career, relationships, and everything in between. We'll tackle your try or cry questions and share workplace tips that we've learned along the way, as well as interviewing inspiring business leaders. So get ready to go after what you want, be courageous, back yourself
0: and build your dream career. This is Try Babies.
1: Cool. Welcome back to another episode of Try Babies. Uh... Woohoo. Michelle and I are excited to get into some seeking your passion, figuring out what you're really into, landing your dream job, and then really crushing it when you start at that job. And uh, yeah, this is inspired by a lot of questions that we had come in from women who have listened to the podcast and are curious about that process, finding what they really love and and finding really awesome jobs. So we will share what we know. (laughs) I think on passion I've always really
0: envied people who were just born knowing like having this innate desire to be something and then be really good at that thing like athletes for example Mm. they grow up usually pretty sporty realize they're good at that sport they like live and breathe that sport and then like what a dream to actually be paid to be good at that sport and then I guess they probably have to find what their passion is after afterwards but they're almost doing it in reverse than probably the masses are right. like did you feel like you had a had a desire to be good at something or
1: do something from a young age I had natural passions I think that came up like, I really loved creating stuff, making art, doing arts and crafts, building things, crafting things. But I think I struggled to know how to translate that into a career. Mm. And so, yeah, I, I think maybe that's the big question. Like, if you don't have something clear or like, you know, you have some passions and you're like, how on earth am I going to translate this into something that I can get paid for? Mm. That's maybe what we can try and help. But did you have a sense of? I'm just thinking for me, it really usually always came
0: back to what am I good at? Mm. So if I was good at it, then I liked it Mm. because it felt fulfilling and it felt rewarding. So I think for me, my passion has probably always been a little bit led by what am I naturally good at? And then trying to evolve on whatever my natural build on whatever my natural ability is like that's kind of how my whole career has panned out
1: yeah I feel like a good question to ask yourself is like what activities day to day do I get in a flow state with do Mm -hmm. I just feel like oh my god I'm unstoppable when I do this thing and I just go into this trance or I feel so much joy when I do this It could literally be making, creating things, drawing, painting. It could be like solving Sudoku puzzles or like crosswords or something. But what if it is something that won't pay you? No, no, but this (laughs) this is the point. You have to start with like whatever the thing is. You know, I'm taking a stab in the dark. For you, it might be like... Telling stories, organizing parties, like corralling people in like social settings. Maybe I know you're good at that. (laughs) Winning
0: arguments. (laughs) (laughs) Seriously,
1: yeah, you definitely do get into like a sort of state when you are like fighting, trying to convince fighting for something. something. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, even if it seems inconsequential or insignificant, like, pay attention to those things because there is the like very early stages or the the seedling of a career in that stuff. I really believe.
0: Yeah, I agree. I also think it's about some people can also panic a bit if they don't have a passion or don't know what their passion is. Like I can think back to moments in my life where I felt pretty lost or like I'd been pursuing one thing that I was really good at and then I realised it wasn't going to take me where I thought it was. So I was kind of at this dead end. I was at a loss for what should I do next? And I think that can feel like a scary place to be but it's also a really exciting place because you're kind of back at like base camp and you can really decide, all right, world's my oyster, I can try many different things and try to work out like where this next path will be but I think it's also about allowing yourself to try lots of different things and try and fail and I think if you're already in your career and doing this, I actually really don't view it as detrimental to jump around and to actually try lots of different things. And I also think in the past, it's really been looked at as a bad look if you're like, don't have long tenure at certain places. But I feel like that view has become kind of outdated. And I think we live in a society that is a little bit more receptive and it's also about how you know how to tell that story in an, in an interview. Mm-hmm. Like, hey, yeah, I actually tried this and I worked out I was really good at this, but I didn't love this so much. So that's why I've now found this job because I think it'll really play into the skills I've already been developing in these other roles that I know I'm actually really good at and I can just build upon that. Or like, hey, I actually left that job after one year because I just didn't feel like I was being challenged as hard as I wanted to mm-hmm. anymore. And I think it's like putting a positive spin on those situations and knowing how to tell that story for yourself.
1: Yeah, definitely. Or you can try and bounce around internally. Like I yeah. remember when I was at Coca-Cola Republic, my first job, I was hired purely as a graphic designer. And I started doing copywriting for the website because I was like, oh, this is like kind of fun. Mm -hmm. And that was probably like the early signs that I'm like more of a UX designer than a graphic designer. But I just started like taking it on and doing it because it was nobody's job kind of thing. Yeah. That's actually such a valid point. Like I only did
0: graduate recruiting when I was working in HR because the grad recruiter left. They needed someone who could do it. I had capacity, so like put my hand up. And that was probably my first exposure going out and like pitching to people and going to careers fairs and running our stall and trying to convince people to choose Citibank and like coordinating all these different events and initiatives that would get people to love our company more than they would love another company. So yeah, I think putting, if you, if you're in a role and I guess you feel like you've got a supportive environment around you and there are opportunities to expand on whatever you're doing, like seeking that would be a really good way to start.
1: Yeah. And a
0: low risk way to start.
1: Yeah, definitely. Another big one that I think about and that I think I nearly fell into the trap of was pursuing a career path based on the prestige or the perceived prestige. And I can see, like I see so many young people doing this, like deciding to go into medicine or law or these really like traditionally prestigious professions because of the status or because their parents expect them to, or they got the grades to be able to do that. So they're like, oh, I should go and do that. Mm. That's what's like expected of someone at my, you know, my level of academic achievement or something. And I just like, I've had a lot of friends that chose that path and they got into it and they were like oh damn like this is not for me this Mm. is not aligned with like my personality or what I'm good at or like how the lifestyle that I want to live that's so true like just kind of knowing all the
0: smartest kids at school it was like okay if you're gonna get you know a 97 a 98 a 99 you're gonna do law or medicine yeah. Those are your only two paths.
1: So like there's a little bit of resisting, I think, other people's expectations. So like mm. just let go of that shit and make the decision purely about you. I know some people come from families as well where there's a lot of expectation to to go into certain careers. Um, That's such a truth. I've, I've never even thought of that because I was on the other spectrum of I'm barely going to
0: make it into uni like my goal is scrape in
1: what is
0: the lowest uai necessary to just get my foot in the door at sydney uni mm-hmm. so and it's like that never felt like a proud place to be coming from you know that felt like oh my god i'm barely average i need to try and do the next thing but maybe that was actually a bit of a blessing because again I was at you know base camp and I just did a bachelor of arts that was so broad and Mm. then could kind of figure out where to go next and there was actually no expectation on what I did it was like can you just try to get in.
1: Yeah, I actually think the college education system in the States is set up a little better than it is in Australia. In Australia, like very early on, you're pushed into a certain like vocation, like all of the degrees except for arts are very focused on like specific professions and like tracks. But in the States, like a lot of people do a liberal arts degree for three years. And that's like where they sort of figure out what they're into, what they're interested in. So it's not expected that people do that while they're in high school, Mm. which I think is kind of cool. I also, and I
0: know there's someone sitting in this room who's <laughs> done their <laughs> master's for basically behind me. I'm like, I wonder if she'll agree with this. But when I did my master's degree, it was the first time I noticed this Like I actually noticed a transition in the style of education and I'd always felt like in school and through my undergrad, it was about consuming information and knowing how to regurgitate it. And you weren't necessarily like awarded on your understanding of that. It was more how good are you at memorising this. Whereas when you do a master's degree, it's much more about forming your own opinion based mm. on the research that you're doing and then being awarded for what your own unique take on this like concept is. And it was the first time I'd kind of been ever ever encouraged to think about something in a different way, which I don't feel like school does that for people. It really is about memorizing mm. something, your ability to memorize. mm
1: mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I I guess it would really depend on what you study. Like I was basically an arts kid. Like I studied Mm. design and there was a lot of like come up with a body of work and then pitch that. Like what's the Mm, concept? Convince people why this is going to solve a problem. Yeah. But I sort of brings me to the next thing. Like I did make some like monetary, monetarily based decisions about my career at a point in time. I was like two years into my degree studying design and I was having, I don't know, maybe doubts. It felt very artsy and I'm like, I'm not going to get paid as an artist or like I'm not going to get paid that well as a textile designer or some of the things that I was like really loving at the time or even fashion. I was like, there's just not enough jobs. Everyone like hires you for free. So I like went through a process of getting on Indeed or Seek or whatever the major job marketplaces in Australia were and I just started looking through different roles and I was looking for like volume like how many jobs are there available and salary because I had to choose my last two years two majors Mm -hmm. to focus on and that's when I ultimately decided to do graphic design and that's where all the jobs were that's where the money was yeah I also was driven by money I basically my
0: dad told me HR people are, I think he used the word overpaid. We <laughs> a bit of judgment from him. But I thought, great. And like you did get really good salaries doing that. Have you felt like I've definitely gone where the money is before in my career? I've made a decision based on money twice and I thought I would learn from the first time I did it. And then I did it again. And I ended up regretting both the decisions I made. Have you ever experienced that?
1: Mm, no, I think I've, my, my decisions have always been in the reverse, deciding on something that would mean less money for me. Hmm, interesting. Uh, <laughs> <laughs>
0: uh, I hadn't done that till sunroom, <laughs>
1: <laughs> And I would say, yeah, TBD, but I think it's mm. resulted in like more happiness and greater sense of purpose for me, but yeah. I'm curious about your experience.
0: Yeah, so the first time I did it, I had been interning at Citibank and then I got offered a job at UBS and so I went to UBS and I actually loved UBS, had this amazing team around me and my whole HR team had just been made redundant except me and I got put into this like HR generalist job and it was like this really good opportunity. I felt like they'd believed in me and kind of kept me as, I don't know, the last one standing of my team. And I think it had been about three months since that all happened. And then City hit me up and said, hey, we've actually got like a generalist job for you back here if you want to come back. And I would have been like 21 or 22 and it was $30,000 more than my current job, which is pretty big. And so I was just like, it was kind of a no-brainer. Like I'm going to go where I'm going to be paid 30 grand more. And I think I let down the UBS team and they were probably like, fuck this chick. You know, we've just made all these people redundant and now she's going to go. And then I ended up going back to city and I was working with an amazing manager. But then management changed and I noticed something in the sense that I think when people inherit a team, they aren't necessarily that nurturing as if they choose that team for themselves and I felt like I'd kind of lost this person who had my back and now I had this new manager who probably would never have picked me and was just not as supportive and so I found myself in this situation where just my day-to-day was a little bit harder and I probably would have had a lot more like nurturing and support if I'd just stayed at, UBS, but I decided to go where the money was, and mm-hmm. then I actually ended up leaving City because of that manager. I just like couldn't wow. couldn't cope, and I kind of felt like I'd just been left out with the wolves.
1: Yeah, to be honest.
0: Damn.
1: Uh, yeah. So for people weighing up that decision, should I jump ship f- like purely for a salary increase? Yeah, I guess the questions are like, what's the new management like, and like, are they going to be as nurturing, and are they going to like move your career along in the same way that your current manager is? Yeah, What's the team like? What's the culture like? I also think it's your values, you know, like at that time I
0: was thinking more about money than I was probably about support or career development or just how much harder showing up at work could be each day if you didn't really feel like someone had your back. And so I just think that was a lesson for me in team. But ultimately that experience, I guess I don't regret it looking back because it then led me to really value company culture more than I ever had which was then kind of the leading factor behind me taking a risk and going to Bumble because I cared more about what the culture and the values of the company were so I Mm. think like every wrong or like misstep or something that you might perceive as the wrong move at the time usually has a lesson coming but then I did do the money thing again. So I just don't know what I really learned.
1: (laughs) But also there might be some periods in your life where you do need to make the money decision and you do like need to over-index on compensation or benefits or, you know.
0: Mm. I think you have to almost take a couple of hits in your career to learn that salary and title really shouldn't be on the pedestal you're putting it on. Mm. Um, And I think maybe that's something you can only realise once you feel like you've had Access to those things. Yeah. And then you start to look a little bit deeper. But I think when I hear people not taking risks because of salary and title, I really feel like they're holding themselves back. If like you're not taking a move because you don't feel like the salary is there or the title isn't there, but you're not happy where you currently are. I'm kind of wondering why you're allowing those things to dictate that decision.
1: Another interesting framework that I have used or recommended that people use in the past when they're trying to find their thing, it's this Japanese concept. I think it's called like ikigai or something. And it's like a Venn diagram. Mm -hmm. Have you seen this? It's like four quadrants. Mm -hmm. And the questions are like, what are you good at? What does the world need what will you get paid for, and then what are you what are you passionate about, and basically, like where all the circles overlap is your ikigai, guy, which is like the mm. thing that you should do and I think that like for people who are really lost, like do a journaling exercise mm. where you just like those four questions: what am I good at, what will I get paid for, what are my passions, and what does the world need? Mm. I think that's like the fourth one is also also like a, a really important one to, because you'll get like a real sense of satisfaction and purpose if what you're doing is genuinely needed by people. Mm. Do you think everyone's driven by that though? No.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I think it depends what kind of person you are. Hey? If, because I think a lot of people have the potential to just work on something that'll make them money, but it actually might be bad for the world.
1: Mm. So I think, I guess there's like a values piece there as well. I really believe that all humans need a sense of purpose, though. And it doesn't have to be related to their job. It could be raising their kids. It could be like working for some nonprofit or charity or volunteering or something like that. But like Mm. we're kind of built that way. And you can see it when people don't have a purpose. Like, yeah, some people Mm. like really struggle with apathy or depression or feeling like they're lost or
0: Okay, moving on slightly from the passion piece. So, okay, you've worked out what your passion is, you're in your career, you're looking for those goals, looking for those
1: jobs. How can people stand out in the interview process? Oh, man. Okay. So, like, Michelle and I, we've interviewed a lot of people over the last couple of years. or well, probably throughout our careers. But I think we've really honed in on it the last couple of years because it's we're hiring people for our own company. And so, like, the stakes seem higher. We've invested more time and effort into crafting the interview process and the questions and, like, really... We've see- made loads of mistakes. <laughs> we, we've made a lot of mistakes. Yeah. And so, like, now we... I, I think there are... We're definitely not perfect, but there are a greater range of signals that we can pick up on when someone comes in to do an interview. We're getting much better at knowing what to look for. (laughs) (laughs) But I think for me, like the number one no-brainer is like come so prepared, like research the company deeply, Mm. research the founders, research the market. I am most impressed by people who can ask us very pointed questions that somehow seem to get at the biggest risks or the challenges in our business. People who are like, all right, so how are you going to scale a recruitment? How are you going to keep it? Like, how are you doing it right now? How are you going to do it in the future? I or- agree. If that It's like they've
0: almost been in our office listening to what our biggest challenges are. Yes. Yeah, that's definitely it. I also think the worst thing you could probably do in an interview is also not have any questions mm-hmm. at the end. Like mm-hmm. you get to the end of the interview do you have any questions for us? And the answer is no.
1: Yeah.
0: It signals was this a conversation that we just had for an yeah. hour? Is this maybe a job you really want, or did you just go out and apply for a shitload of jobs all mm-hmm. or, or at the same time? You mm-hmm. know, like are you just trying to tick a box and get a job, or do you deeply care about this one specifically?
1: Yeah. Like, I don't know if we should reveal this, but like one of, I think the first question, the culture part of our interview is like, what's something interesting that you learned in your research on Sunroom? Mm-hmm. And it like, yeah, really, it's really telling how deep people went and if they even like touched on it at all. yeah.
0: We're taking a quick break from the episode and we'll be right back, but we love hearing from our listeners. If you have any burning questions for us, please hit us up on Instagram at our Try Babies, the podcast Instagram page. You can also join us in our Facebook group. Let's get back to the app. I was actually thinking about this and I, I do wonder... I think in an interview, you need to be able to bring an element of like warmth mm, mm-hmm. um, because you're also trying to work out, is this someone that I can like build rapport with? And is this someone that we could work with every single day? Do they seem easy to get along with? Definitely. Chatty. Yeah. Will they lift the spirits? Yeah. Of, of the whole team? You know, I think these things are probably more, more critical in a smaller company where each person you bring in actually, like, their aura almost influences the whole dynamic of the
1: office. Yeah. So come prepare, like, do some small talk, like, yeah. and lead in the small talk. You know, how are you? How was your morning? Like, just general chit chat, because I think it shows you as a normal person who has, like, <laughs> you know, regular social functioning. <laughs>
0: how do you think? If you're an introvert, do you think that would be really
1: hard? Uh, I think you just need to practice that. Yeah, you like need, practice in the mirror. Yeah, you need to practice. And and I don't want to say you know we only hire extroverts because we definitely don't like oh definitely like not. more than half of our team are introverts. Um, but I you know you can be an introverted person but still come across as like amenable and friendly, and, curious, warm. And, um, yeah. Mm. I think another tip that I myself have done when preparing for interviews or preparing for VC pitches is do a sort of like free form journaling exercise of all your background, all your past experiences. Because sometimes like all these anecdotes from past roles are like deep in the recesses of your mind. But that's the shit like people want concrete examples. They want stories. And so like get it out in the days leading up to an interview, just like think about all the stuff you did at a job, like all the significant things, the hard times, the the moments where you were really struggling because you'll be asked that as well. Yeah. Which leads me on to when you're asked about like things you've failed at or, you know, mistakes (laughs) you've made, don't give bullshit answers because like it's so obvious when yeah. people give the like, oh, my weakness is that I'm just a perfectionist. It's mm, like mm. Uh, we actually want to, I mean, I speak for my, myself, but I think you believe this too. We we want to hear genuine shit that you've been through. Yeah, It comes across as really inauthentic. Yeah. And
0: it comes across like you're literally just trying to tell someone what you think they want to hear and it is a bit of an immediate. It also shows that maybe you lack a bit of vulnerability. Mm-hmm. Um. I also think some red flags are when you're asked about a hard time, but you take no account. Oh, sorry, you ask about a failure, but you take no accountability for that failure. So you'll talk about something that happened and then blame will be deflected onto a manager or a team member. And it's a failure, but it's less, there's less kind of acceptance or showing
1: that you learnt from that on your side. I think it just shows so much confidence if you can be like, I let the team down here and here are the ways in which like I didn't do my job well. Yeah. Here's what I did to like fix the situation. Mm. Yeah. You definitely want those sorts of people on your team.
0: I'm trying to think of other
1: goodies. Oh, okay. Another one. Yeah. (laughs) Just don't ask about benefits in the interview. (laughs) Like just do that when you're negotiating salary, when there's an offer on the table or via email after the interview. I, I agree. I can recall we've had
0: candidates come to the end and it's do you have any questions for us? And it's like, what are your leave policies? And of course, there are go I think our leave policies actually fucking great, especially for a tech starter mm. in America.
1: <laughs> yeah. um,
0: but I think when that is someone's number one priority, it's like you could also go- probably find that on our website somewhere. Mm. Um and it it is just like oh. Is that the priority right now or is it actually trying to understand the business a little bit better?
1: Yes, yes. Mm. Use your time wisely. Yeah. And also, like, try and have some self-awareness when you're answering questions. Like, you don't want to waffle on too long. Like, really pay attention to the question that you've been asked. Yeah. And, like, stick to the program. Yeah. I actually think that is a bit of a pet
0: peeve of mine as well on the leave side of things. Like, if you have just hired someone It's not like you're not going to give someone a job because they have a holiday booked. Mm. But it's like just bring that up at the time. Like, hey, I just want to let you know in three weeks I've got a two-week trip planned. Not like waiting till you're in the door to then alert Mm. the person of that because it's like the team's already functioning without you, you know, like – it's going to be okay. But just like being upfront about those kinds of things. Cause I really don't think if you're a great candidate, that's not going to hurt you.
1: Yeah. But it'll hurt you to like feel like you've withheld things.
0: Yeah. 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 It's just like not really setting the company up to like get your ramp up once you're in the door. So I think it's like also being aware of how well you can effectively use that first
1: month. Yeah. Should we move on to when you start? Yeah. When you, when you start, landed this amazing role. Yes. Oh, honestly, I think
0: uh, we've we've never even like encouraged our own team to do this, but I do think it is a very good idea if you are fresh within a team to take it upon yourself. If your manager isn't encouraging you to do it, do it yourself, book in, 30-minute coffee catch-ups with everyone that you're going to be working directly with or anyone that you're interested in the business just be like hey just want to introduce myself would love to hear more about what you do can we get a coffee this time on Thursday and like start to build those relationships with people on a one-on-one level within the team because it's so easy to do that straight out of the gate because you've got this excuse you know want to hear more about your role, it'll show them that you're
1: interested. And I just think it makes you look like a bit of a star. It really does. And like get to know their challenges because Mm. like you'll become even more of a star if you're able to help other people, like unblock other people Mm. over time. You'll also make your
0: life way easier if you feel like you've already started to build rapport with people so you can just hit them up casually for help. Like you're kind Mm. of building allies as well.
1: Yeah. On... Building influence when you join a company, maybe this is a little bit like product specific, but I also think it could be applied to any role. I think when you join, as well as like setting up interviews, (laughs) and not interviews, coffee chats with people on your team, you need to become deeply familiar with the customer. Assuming that you're working, you know, your business customer, if it's a B2B situation, or your consumer, I think the best way to do that is to try and do interviews. Like ask someone, hey, can you set me up with like a couple of our customers? I want to like chat Mm. with them. Or ask to look back through previous user interview notes. Like it's sort of your job to like, very quickly become deeply familiar with like who you're serving the market you're operating with within like what are the market dynamics yeah um and at the, the product and the product if it is a product like use it mm-hmm. even if
0: you don't feel like it's made for you you should still be using it so yeah. you have your own experience with it and even just Like it's so valuable for us each time a new employee starts if they can tell us about what their experience was like getting onto the product, Mm -hmm. getting their profile set up, if things didn't make sense to them. Like if things don't make sense to you, they're not going to make sense to other people as well. So that first-time experience is just so valid, but it is that like eat your own dog food thing. I, I don't know how you can be the best at your role if you're not familiar with the product you're building and contributing to.
1: Right. And because like, especially at a startup, like we have these team meetings where we're talking about the product, like what we're going to build, how we're going to build it, or even like how we're going to launch something, how we're going to craft a certain campaign. And like, you're not going to be able to contribute a credible opinion if you haven't done this work. Yeah. And I think that's one of my pet peeves is when somebody comes in and they're like, oh, well, you know, I think we should just build this based on a personal preference, Mm -hmm. based on something that they've seen somewhere else that they think is cool, Mm -hmm. but they haven't done the work to realize that, well, I think this is the other thing you really need to develop a deep understand or maybe not deep, but some sort of understanding of the business needs and like a cost benefit consideration when you're sharing your opinion, Mm. like it has to make sense for mm. the business it has to like not cost like a great deal of money mm. so being able to like bring some of that thinking when you're like oh have we thought about this have we thought about this mm. i actually think this conversation
0: is a really good segue into the episode we've already done on like how to then be an entrepreneur this is mm. almost like phase 1 before you're then in the door like you're understanding the product you're understanding the business problems you're meeting with people in the team I think it's also about making sure like you're kind of displaying from very early on that you're going to own your career. You know, Mm. what can I do within the first month to like really get up to speed? Like what should I be trying to complete by the end of this month? And just like really grabbing the bull by the horns.
1: Yeah. I think the other thing that I am always really impressed with when someone new joins our team is just like, Communication, like really solid communication. People who are like almost immediately participating in Slack, being like, okay, here's the situation, here's what I've worked on, here's a status update, sharing something that they've worked on for feedback. Just a sort of like very open and collaborative person, or mm. someone who's like very willing to like give kudos or shout someone out pretty soon after starting. Yeah. Like they don't actually
0: feel like a new member of the team. They kind of feel like someone who's been there for a few months.
1: Yeah. I don't think you should wait for permission to speak. You yeah. know, I think people, especially at startups, they, they want you to speak. Actually, they depend on you yeah. opening up and contributing. Yeah. But like say yes to going to lunch with the team, to like going to the team bonding events. Like you do have to be a, a yes person Yeah, early okay. on to cement your you know, role in the team. Okay. We've got some questions from our viewers. So (laughs) let's jump into it.
0: Question one. I'm currently in the dreaded job search phase. I'm jumping ship after being in the same industry and company for 10 plus years. Wow. How do I make my cover letter and resume stand out and get to the interview stage? I would be really trying to highlight the progression that you made at that company if you were there for 10 years. Mm. Like I'm sure you would be doing, would have had multiple roles and so I would be highlighting that first and foremost because most people's CV will be, that'll be a whole page to talk about three or four companies that they worked at, you know. Mm -hmm. So I think you need to give yourself that room to show those different roles that you had at that company it was progression for you and what the different skills and key achievements you had in those positions were. Yeah, that's true. And not like not allowing yourself to have that space just because it's the same company. Yeah. I think that's a really good point.
1: Mm. I try to think about, I don't think I even read cover letters. Yeah, I don't. Which means if you are going to write one, make it so short. I would actually just do three bullet points like, here's who I am. Here's like what I'm really, really good at. Like, here's how I would change your company. Like, do you know what? It's so fascinating. So I saw someone like blowing up on Instagram the other day
0: saying they would never hire someone who didn't write a cover letter. And I was thinking I'm the complete opposite. I think cover Mm. letters are such a waste of time. I don't need you to like display to me in this moment what you might know about sunroom or like sell yourself even more. Like I want to know the facts of like what you've achieved Mm. in your career. And then I am going to pull from those facts what I think would work at sunroom. And like, then we'll get into this more, which is why I think I focus way more on the on the resume and I honestly couldn't care less if someone attaches a cover letter or not
1: yeah I I actually need evidence like I want links to here's this website that I built that's all I need then link I want to see what it looks like here's this app I built great link to it there I can see it or here's this campaign that I did link to it an Instagram account that I grew it's just quick proof points that you'd be like okay sweet yeah did we answer this question
0: (laughs) 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 or did we just go off on our own (laughs) I also think I do sense a little bit, I think if you haven't moved around in 10 years, maybe you're feeling scared. And I think, I think I would feel a little bit scared if I hadn't interviewed or really looked for, for other roles within that period. So maybe it is like practicing, I think, go deep on the examples to your point. Mm. Yeah. And there's probably a bit of like confidence building there. I'm sensing that should be done. So I just think practice and preparation will set you up.
1: Yeah. Okay, question two. I would love to have a mentor, but the bosses at my work are quite hard to get in touch with slash access. How can I find a mentor? And what's the best way to ask them? I
0: mean, they sound crap, don't they? <laughs> like if you can't if you can't access your bosses, like I'm guessing it's like an overly maybe very hierarchical structure, perhaps. But I also think maybe this is like a boss boss type situation. Like, I would hope you have a manager that's Mm. much more accessible. That's really who you could be going to, to to ask for this. But I also think if, if you are in a, it sounds like this might be a really large workplace or something. So I also think looking for mentors like across function is a really good idea because it's giving you exposure to different departments within your business if you are loving where you're working that is or like want to look to kind of move around it's just yeah exposing you in different places and I think a manager would be able to help connect you with people cross functional if like you're wanting to do some work internally within the business to increase your exposure and experience that way
1: yeah I also think people are pretty like selfish or self-interested and everybody's like extremely busy, right? So I think you, if you're wanting somebody to be your mentor, find a way that you can selflessly help them. Try to make their life easier in some way or speak to their, um, I don't know if vanity is the right term, but like literally be like, Hey, I've noticed you're really good at X, Y, Z. I'm trying to figure out how to be really good at X, Y, Z. Like, can I ask you some questions? Like feed their ego a little bit because then people are going to be like, all right, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I personally think
0: there's nothing more annoying than someone hitting you up saying, can I take you for a coffee and pick your brain? Yeah. It's honestly, I I actually hate the phrase pick your brain. It Mm. makes me want to vomit. I don't know why, Mm. but it is you might be going to someone who has so, gets so much of that mm. um, and doesn't really have that much time. And so I think if you're going to hit someone up and ask them for advice, you're actually much better going in asking a very direct question mm. straight from the get-go. Like if someone slid into my LinkedIn DMs with a very specific question that actually was something I thought they I could help them with, they've literally already given me exactly what I need. Maybe I can answer that within three minutes, I would just reply. Yeah. With, with an answer. I don't need to be taken to coffee. I need like specifics yeah. in that moment. think um, your brain.
1: You're just like, well, where is this going to go? <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
0: And I don't, that's not to sound snooty, but it's just People are already being pulled in a million different directions and, like, you've got friends trying to set you up, like, already leverage those relationships to get you to help people. You've got mm. people that you already know wanting to, like, take your knowledge and then you've got people that you don't know at all saying, can I consume your time and just like get to the points. Yeah,
1: yeah. also always like offer something back in return and it doesn't have to like, if you were doing a a chat with me, be like, hey, uh, I actually just reviewed the app and I wrote down some couple of like observations about being a new user using Sunroom. I'd be like, sweet, that's incredibly valuable to me. Thank you. Yeah, (laughs) even, even for me like, oh my God, I think you should get this creator on Sunroom.
0: Love what you're doing. Something I've been really struggling with is this. Do you have any opinions on this? Right. You know, that is just like as simple as me replying to an Instagram DM, which Mm -hmm. is something I would do versus leave my home, get in the car, drive somewhere to have a coffee. Yeah.
1: (laughs) It's just all too much.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Hi, ladies. It's my first week of a new job, literally my dream job. Congrats. And I really want to impress the boss and team. What's one thing I should do and one thing I shouldn't do? Well, I think we we talked about a lot of the things that you should do. I that's would amazing. honestly do the coffee catch-ups. Yeah. Like if I saw someone I just hired schedule in, you know, little coffee catch-ups with everyone that they're going to be working with, I'd think good on them. What a mm. go-getter. They're building these relationships. They're curious on what's happening within this team. I think that's like an easy one that would just win you brownie points. Yeah. One thing you shouldn't do, request leave. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: Yeah. <laughs> and you shouldn't stay quiet. You definitely shouldn't stay quiet. Yeah, that's a kind of yep. one. That's a better one.
0: Yeah. Thanks so much for listening. I feel like this was just a wonky episode, but hopefully there's some value in there. Yeah, we jumped around a bit, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us on this week's episode. A quick ask, if you enjoyed listening, it would mean the world if you could jump on Spotify or Apple and review the podcast. Five stars only, please. We need to build that army so we can read what you loved and what you want to hear more of. We're so grateful to have such an incredible community of empowered, motivated, and confident women supporting each other here to go after their dreams. That's what we've needed most throughout our journey. You can subscribe so you don't miss our episodes or head over to our Try Babies podcast Facebook group and Try Babies Insta, where we can connect with you more and ask us questions that you want answered in the show. See you on the next episode of Try Babies.